All right, we're going to continue on in our series, Recreate Your Universe. Amen? Recreate your universe. Has anybody recreated their universe yet? <laughs> you say you did or is it on? Actively, yeah. I think, <laughs> look, I think we're all actively working on it. Amen? And even if we've gone from one part of our universe and ventured into another area, I think that's still a continual process. Amen? That's a good thing because it's growth. It's expansion. It's uh, moving in the revelation of new things that God has given for your life. So I guess we're always in the process of some form of recreation. Amen. Because that means you're not stagnant. So anyway, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. And it reads, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtain a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found. Because God had translated him, for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is, of, which is by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we praise and thank you, Father. For all the things you're doing in our lives, we thank you, Father, for the growth we've experienced, Father. Father, if through this series you've opened up our eyes to see whether or not we've been stuck in a rut or stuck in a, in a bubble, stuck under a barrier that blocks us, maybe manipulated and controlled and being puppeted by somebody to keep us from getting where you've called us to be. And we praise you, Father, that as we've stepped out on faith and ventured into things that may be unknown, that you're strengthening us, that you're encouraging us, that you're giving us a witness in our spirit, Father, that it is what you've called us to do in this time and season. And we praise you, Father, for continual strength to overcome fear, uncertainty, um, frustrations, anxiety, even attacks of the enemy, whether it's in the spirit or of people in their flesh. We thank and praise you, Father, for just continuing to empower us to continue on this journey in faith. And we even thank you, Father, that as we do it, we realize that the impact is not just for us alone, but it's for all the people that are following after us, Father, in our family. It's also something that will affect the legacy, the inheritance, as well as the blessings and the revelation that's seeded into the lives of people that surround us. Some that may 
be watching us that we're not even aware of. So we just praise and thank you, Father, for this. Once again, for the victory you're going to give us. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. And actually, one of the things that it caught my eyes a couple times, and I still didn't put it in my notes, but I want to say it before I forget it. Amen. It says, by faith he sojourned in the land of promise. For, by faith he lived in the land of promise. Amen. Do you realize that you may not have arrived at the land of promise yet? Whatever it is for you, <laughs> whatever your oasis is, whatever your uh, Hawaii or some beautiful place, some remote land that you envision yourself living in that's surrounded with peace and all the pleasantries of life. Amen. Hallelujah. You may not physically live there yet, but it says by faith, he didn't just travel there. It said by faith, he dwelled in the land of promise. So you can have the full realization that in the present time, I'm not there yet, but by faith, you could be living as if you're already there. Amen. Hallelujah. We see also that the mindset of faith not only allows you to live in a place that you haven't arrived at yet, but also it says he was dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. He was not only living in the land of promise, but he was living there with his child and grandchildren. They ain't even born yet. Did you, did you catch that? The Bible says Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and it goes down to the Davidic line and and Jesus, but says he was living in the land of promise, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob. They weren't born yet. He's living in the land of promise with them. Hey, Isaac and Jacob. <laughs> Didn't even get Sarah pregnant yet, but he's like living in the land of faith with his children and grandchildren. Because I know God's going to do it, in other words. Amen? So in other words... You may not be in your land of promise right now, but in faith in God, you can say, he's going to get me there, and I'm not going to wait till I achieve it or it manifests. I'm going to start living in the land of promise now. In other words, I'm going to have the mindset, not of the pauper that I might be right now, not of the person that is boxed in by life and all the trials and tribulations right now, but I'm going to live in the mindset that I've already arrived at my final destination. And not only that, but I'm going to speak into my future, whether it's material things, dreams, or even children, in a sense that they're also living in it now as well. So in other words, where I'm going, it's not only just going to affect me, myself, and I, but I'm taking all my descendants with me on that journey. So you start to have the mindset. Was it sing, sing song? Sing songs living in the land of promise. And you might say, I... Carol have not arrived there yet physically, but I'm going to have the mindset that I'm in the land of promise. And not only is Brandy, her mother there, my grandchild, but my great great granddaughter, Sing Song, is in the promise as well. Amen. See, that will totally shatter all the things that are going on in your life right now. The trials and tribulations, the anxiety, the lack of peace, the uncertainty. The trials, the, tra the traumas, all the different things that come your way, they may come, but yet if you're living in a kingdom mindset that I am in another place that's much better than this, I can sustain myself through the trial tribulation because this is just a temporary thing, whereas this, the land of promise, is my reality. Amen? So I'm living for my future. Amen?
That's a good point. I'm living for my future. You can't live for your future if you're dying right now in your presence, if you're discouraged by your present, if you're boxed in by your present, if you're limited by your present, if you're broken down and beaten up and dying inside by your presence, if you're trapped by your presence, if you're killed by your present. You can't live in the promised land if you're allowing the now to destroy you. So that's why we got to work on ourselves and recreate our universe using some of the principles that God's already given us. Amen? Let's continue on. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. All right, so I've already shared it before. Some of us have had the mindset that we're trapped under an invisible barrier, a dome, that we can only go so far in life and we can only go so high in life. It's time to break through the dome. We also talked about being buried in a rut. Very so deep that you can't see yourself clawing or digging your way out. Amen. We got to get out the rut. And then we saw situations where some people maybe feel like they're being pulled various directions, controlled, manipulated. You're hanging by a thread, hanging on a string with people pulling you in directions that are against your will that you do not want to go. So we got to cut the strings with the sword of the spirit. Amen. In order to create our universe, amen, or recreate our universe. And we're going to continue on today. <clears throat> we talked about who framed your word, your world. Is your world framed by the word of God, amen, and God's desire for your life, or is it framed by people around you or your own misperceptions? You know, what type of sacrifices are we offering unto God, amen? Is it something truly acceptable to him in terms of our time, our talents, our energies and everything? I'm not talking just our money, but are we really giving God our best, amen? And a lot of times it goes beyond your money or your money's not even included. It is about us and our heart, the sacrifice of our lips, the sacrifices of our hearts. Are we really giving of ourselves to God as we want him to give unto us? Hallelujah. We talked about when you move in fear, Amen. Talks about Noah moving with fear to the saving of his house. When you move with fear, are you moving in godly fear as in reverence or fear because they're after me? There's a difference. When you're moving in fear, what kind of fear is it? When you venture into the unknown, are you out in the unknown because you took yourself there or God took you? Amen. There's quite a difference. Because if you're going out into the unknown, and he brought, took you there. He's going to get you through and get you to your destination. If you're out in the unknown because you took yourself somewhere you don't need to be, you need to find yourself a spiritual GPS and get yourself right back on route. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> All right, so today we're talking about in faith, <clears throat> are you dwelling in your land of promise? Oh, I guess I was on key <laughs> with what I said. <laughs> Amen. Are you dwelling in your land of promise? Abraham experienced the land of promise, amen, that was to come for his descendants before it manifested. He experienced the land of promise even though he lived in his, certain, in his present circumstances. So let's look at Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. It says, let us therefore fear lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath. 
if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached enter not in because of unbelief. Again, he limited a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is, say, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us therefore... Labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. All right, so there's several things the Lord placed on my heart here. It says, let us, therefore, fear. It's saying we need to fear. That sounds like an odd thing because I basically just told you that we shouldn't have fear unless it's a reverential fear of God. So why is God, who says he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind? God says, I have not given you a spirit of fear. But now he's telling us here, and it seems contradictory, let us therefore fear. Why is God saying you need to fear? He's saying you need to fear that a promise being left of of entering into his rest, we should fear that we should seem to come short of it. Amen? So I'm not talking about an anxious type of fear, but he says we should have a, a fear in a sense of God is pouring out his promises to us that we'll have peace from all the, our labors and peace from all the tragedies and peace from all the unrest and all these crazy things that are going on in life, that we will have rest. And God said you should dread the fact that you don't enter into that rest that I provide you. Why? Because the situations of life will drive you crazy. We've seen that this week. Boston. They weren't good. It wasn't good enough for them to set off two bombs. Those nuts go out on a rampage, go over to MIT, shoot a, a, a campus police officer dead. Then they get into a shoot-off, shootout when the cops are cornering them. They're getting in a shootout. They said over 200 bullets were fired. Within a short amount of time, 200 bullets. And I'm not talking about a movie where, you know, you see some explosions and guns blasting and people fall down and you know it's nothing but a pack that exploded that looked like blood. I'm talking about reality. Every day, you could be going to Dunkin' Donuts, Wawa, the ATM, and all of a sudden there's a hail of bullets going everywhere. And I ain't talking about in the hood where a lot of people say, oh, well, it's expected there. No, this is like right in the normal neighborhood. They call themselves cornering the two cars that these brothers are in. They jump out and bam, 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 start firing away. I ain't scared of the cops. And I'm going down in a blaze of bullets. So they're just firing. Over 200 shots are fired. They get wounded. The one gets killed. The one shot and still firing and trying to escape. And they said at one point they actually took one of the same type of bombs that they used at the marathon and threw it at the cops. So they ain't scared. They're like, we're going out in a blaze of glory. The wrong kind of glory, but they, to them, they think they're going out in a blaze of glory. 
So that's one thing. Then we got the explosion down in Texas. 50 miles away, building shaking. This sort of stuff, man, you'd be like, it's hard for me kind of fathom looking at the news, reading the newspaper, waking up every day and life is fine. Life is depressing if you don't know Christ. I don't know how you could just wake up, have no eternal security that if I die today with bombs, gunfire, fertilizer plant explosions, North Koreans trying to talk about they're going to launch nukes, you know, you got people sending rice in envelopes <laughs> to people. I mean, they send it to the president and to a senator, and they can send it to your house. Amen? All these things going on, I don't know how you can really have peace about life without Jesus to give you that peace. So that's why God says you need to fear lest you come short of entering into the rest that I promised you. The rest is there. Amen? Are you entering in? Or are you walking around stressed every day? Once again, because, oh, Lord, they blowing up Boston. Philly ain't that far away. Life will drive you nuts if you don't let yourself get into the rest of God. And see, that might be something a little more remote and a little more distant. Oh, yeah, it is up in Boston. But what about the stuff in your neck of the woods? Maybe it's not a crime wave. Maybe it's not a plant blowing up. But maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your family members. Maybe it's somebody dying in your family. We all got stuff coming our way and affecting us every day. So we're allowing ourselves to enter into the rest that God has provided us, or we're just walking around. God says, I have a place of rest. Let's say the place of rest is right here. And you all over here, all over here, all over here and here, and just... All over the place, full of anxieties and fears and stresses and everything. And the whole time God is saying, sit in a place of rest. And yet you all over the place. Oh my God, I can't sleep at night. God's like, rest? And you're fearing, oh, the devil. Oh God, my past is going to catch up with me. Oh, the stress. I bumped my toe. Oh, the stress. So-and-so said they're going to get me. Oh, the stress. Lay off at my job. The whole time God is like, hello. Enter into my rest. Lest you seem to come short of it. So we're stressed out every day. We got to ask ourselves, did we enter into the rest? We can't blame God. It's clear right here. Entering into his, God's rest, lest any of you seem to come short of it. We need to fear that. You need to be afraid that you didn't go into God's rest. Amen? Hallelujah. And then it goes further. Unto us, not the heathens out in the streets, not the old moss backs that Aunt Esther used to say on Sanford and Son, but God saying to the church, you know, unto us, the gospel was preached. It was preached unto them too. But because their hearts weren't ready yet, they weren't right yet, they had stuff that they want to sow their wild oats in and not receive it yet, it says that the gospel may have been preached to all of us, but they didn't receive it. So that's why they're not in the rest of God, and they're still dealing with the anxieties of life. But what about us? Unto us, 
was the gospel preached. But the word preached did not profit. Why? Because it wasn't mixed with faith. I heard the preacher, it sounded good. The organ was going, or he said it the right way, or he was animated, and he was amped up, and he laid hands on me, and I fell on the floor, and all these different things went on in church. But God said, you're still not in rest. Why? Because you didn't mix your faith in the things that were spoken unto you. So when the time came to truly test the word that was seated into your ear gates and maybe into your mind, into your hearts, when the tests and trials, trials and tribulations of life came your way to test that word that had been placed in there, because you didn't mix any of your faith with the word that was preached, it didn't profit you and you got stressed out. So Nikki could hear the word, heard it, understood it, Kelly could hear the word, heard it, understood it. Trey heard the word, heard it, understood it. I could be sitting in the chair hearing somebody, heard it, understood it. But if she and he and he heard the word and they mix it with their faith so that a trial and tribulation that tried to come against that word that was preached came into their life and they said, oh, I remember what so-and-so said that day. I got to believe God at his word. It profits them in their life. But me, sitting in that same audience, if I heard that same exact word preached, he didn't say it in Russian, French, German, or whatever. I got the same English as everybody else. And when the trial and tribulation came in our life, it could be the same exact thing hitting all of us. And if you mixed that, that word and the word of God came back to you and you applied your faith and said, I know what the situation says, but I'm going to hold on to that word that was preached to me that day. And I shall not fear and I shall live and not die and trust in God. The word will profit you. But yet I could have heard the same exact thing. I wasn't picking my nose. I wasn't thinking about the mall. I wasn't thinking about the playoffs or NBA. But I sat there and heard the same exact word. But if I didn't mix it with my faith, I could be taking drugs, drinking bottle alcohol, chewing my fingernails, pulling out my hair or letting my hair fall out because I didn't mix the faith in the word and make it applicable to my situation. So in that case, the word would not profit me because I heard it, I understood it. It even came back to my mind, but because I didn't mix it with the batter, the substance, we always heard faith is the substance of things hoped for. What else? The evidence of things not seen. So faith works in your life when a situation applies where that word will come back to you, where you will mix it with your faith, where it will provide the evidence you need to stand strong in God despite what you see. That is when it profits you. But if you let that word come in and you don't mix it with your faith, it has no power in your life. That's why you can take two believers one will live and prosper in the Lord 10, 20, 30 years. God is wonderful. God is, all, oh my God, my life is so, so changed, so delivered, so set free by the power of God. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know nothing but the joys of life since God. You never had a trial, tribulation? I had plenty. But thank you, Jesus, my life is wonderful. And you get this, the, the next Christian got saved on the same day. I had nothing but hell on earth from the time I was saved. Where is God? The one took that word, mixed it with faith, and made it applicable to their lives, and made it personal unto themselves. The other one heard it in one ear out the other, said it, didn't put no, no 
power or passion behind it, and the word had no effect. So in other words, long story short, recreating your universe and dealing with trials and tribulations and enduring the tests of life. We all hear the same thing, but if you don't mix it with your faith, it will not profit you and nothing will change in your life. Or it may change, but it might get worse. So we have to make this a personal thing. In faith, I already said to you, are you living and dwelling in your land of promise? Not only for yourself, but seeing it for your generations. Seeing it for the people in your neighborhood. Seeing it in the lives of people that are in your circle of influence. Are you believing that you're dwelling in a place that is on the horizon? And since I know it's on the horizon, I'm going to start living it now, although it has not manifested. Are you allowing your faith, amen, to be the concrete, to be the cement, to be the glue, to be the pillars, to be the nails, amen? The fabric, the foundation of where God is taking me. Have you allowed your faith to do that? Because if not, you will not experience the rest of God, nor will you be able to prosper in going and sojourning in the places that God has for you. So we saw here, if it was not mixed with faith in those that heard it, not going to enter into the rest of God. And the thing that's terrible, verse 3, God says, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, all the works that you need to establish you, to stabilize you, and to get you into your place of paradise and rest and get you into glory, all the things and works that God needed to, to complete, as we see here, were finished before the foundation of the world. So we go to God. Oh, God, whip up something new for me. Give me a new miracle. Work out some new form of deliverance. Help me out here, God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. I got faith, Lord. Give me some new batter and mix me up a good batch of healing, deliverance, and salvation. And God's response to you will be no. What? God, you say no for Whipping out a new batch of, of healing, deliverance, salvation. God say, yep, my answer is no. Why? Because the works were finished from the foundation of the world. I ain't whipping up nothing new. I even knew before the, before the fall that the fall was coming. So before the foundation of the, thing, of the planet for me to put a man on to live, to communicate with and interact with, before all that happened, before the foundation of the world, I had a lamb slain. Before the foundation of the world, that everything I needed to do to restore everything that had fallen into corruption, every work was finished before I even started. So I'm not whipping you up anything else new. In other words, you need to come and appropriate what I already did. I ain't whipping up nothing new for you. There will be no new healings, no new deliverance, no new freedom, no new peace of mind. No. Lay hold of what is already available for you. I ain't making nothing new, but you can ask me for what I already did. We try to get God to get newfangled, <laughs> to whip it up a new way, to change his modus operandi, to change his way of reasoning and operating. We're trying to get God to repackage himself for us. And he said, no, you come to me by faith. And do it through the same channel as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, by faith. Sometimes old school is better than the new school. Matter of fact, most times it is. So he tells us here, the works were finished from the foundation of the world. And that being the case, 
if the works for everything you need were finished before the world was even formed? Why are we in here in 2013 saying, God, can you help me with this? I already did it before I formed the world you're sitting on. <laughs> There's been billions and billions of people before you were ever born. What are you saying? Why are you asking me, can I do it? I did the work before I created the planet that I put Adam on. Can I do it? It's already done, in other words. <laughs> so in other words, we need to just go to God and say, make available to me that which you've already planned for, knew about, and provided. Hallelujah. We see here, God did rest the seventh day. Even God rested from all his works. So why are we walking around seven days a week, 24-7, laboring? Overwhelmed. Can't find peace. God's like, I rest. <laughs> why aren't you resting? Aren't you supposed to live your life following the pattern of me and my son? <laughs> Jesus even got away sometime from the crowd and even his disciples. It says he would separate himself and go out into the wilderness. Why? Sometimes you need some alone time. You need to rest. You need to relax. So why are we doing something that our Lord Jesus didn't do and even God himself did not do? Amen? Hallelujah. We need to allow ourselves to dwell in the land of peace, in the land of promise, in faith in God. Hallelujah. So, like I said, it says they will not enter in because of unbelief. If we're struggling in the area of unbelief, we need to get ourselves into the place of belief and of faith. Hallelujah. And he warns us, do not harden your hearts, but allow yourself to enter into the place that God has for you. I like this. It says in verse 10, for he that hath entered into his rest, not your personal rest, but his, should be capital H, his, he that has entered into God's rest, the rest that God has made available. What has he done? He has ceased from his own works. Hallelujah. So he that has entered into his rest, he from his own works. Have you ceased from your own works? Amen. That's the question today. Have you ceased and desisted? In other words, have you stopped your own works, trying to work out the remedy to your issues? Have you ceased from that? I mean, come on. Have you had enough proof that your ways of doing things don't work? Have you just made a mess out of everything? I ain't trying to offend you. I'm just saying the reality. Haven't we made enough attempts to be our own saviors? Small s. Some cases, big s's. Haven't we made enough tries at turning situations around, turning peoples around, making things work? Have we made enough attempts to prove over the test of time that it's... <laughs> ain't going to work. We've already proven it. So why do we keep trying it, in other words? You know, they, they basically say if you keep trying the same thing over and over again and you get the same results, 
you're full. <laughs> you want to see something new and all the things you keep repeating have not worked, then the wise thing is to try something new. Well, the reality is all the things we can do in our flesh will not work. We've tried them. We've been there. We've proven it. So now we need to go into a new way of doing things that the Word of God tells us will work, doing it His way. We need to cease from our own ways of trying to work out things and allow God, through our faith, to do those things for us. Amen? Hallelujah. Cease from our own works. So he tells us, it's funny, he tells us to cease from our own works, but then he tells us in verse 11 to labor. So stop working at doing things yourself to remedy your situations. However, labor to do what? Enter into the rest of God. So we need to stop working to fix ourselves, but start working to get where? Into the rest that I previously mentioned that God has made available for us. Because like I said, using the same analogy as before, God says, here's your place of rest, your place of peace, tranquility, salvation, healing, restoration, freedom. Here's your place right here. We all over the place stressing out, trying to work it out ourselves. And God said, you're over here trying to work out the situation that instills fear in you. You're over here trying to fix a situation where this person's acting up, that person's acting up, you're trying to negotiate stuff. You're all over here, and God said, instead of trying to labor to fix them and to fix this and to fix me, no, you need to be working to get over here. Amen? The place of rest. That's what you need to be working at. So it's a different kind of work. You're not stressing yourself out, but you're working, striving, exerting your energies to get into a place of peace that God has made available for you. And you'll find as you work to get there and cease from your own works and work to do things his way, that all those different things you were laboring to do, when you get to his place of, his place of rest, not only does he get you there, but he deals with all those different situations on your behalf. Hallelujah. So let us all labor to get into the rest that God has provided, lest we fall after an example of unbelief. That's why Jesus said over and over again in the Bible. You notice that? He goes to the person, asks him a rhetorical question. Will thou be made whole? Like, <laughs> Lord knows I'm not trying to be irreverent, but... You've been lame for years. Like the guy by the pool of Bethesda, was it 38 years? And Jesus is going to come up and say, will you be made whole? He's probably like, fool, are you lost your mind? Do you see me laying here? 38 years, do you know how frustrated I am? Are you going to ask me that stupid question? But Jesus wasn't being rude. He wasn't being ignorant or foolish. He was asking God a genuine question. Do you want to be made whole? I mean, me personally, 38 years, I would be so close to that water when the angel stirred it that even if nobody carried me to the water, I would roll myself in. Or I'd be in the water. Now, y'all can try to get what's left over. I'm going to lay right here in this water, not deep enough that I can get saturated in the healing power when the angel hits, but not deep enough that I can drown if I fall asleep. But I'm going to be in that water. I'm going to be so close, I'm going to roll right in. 
So Jesus was like, no, this guy ain't really trying to be healed. So the question that seemed to be rude or maybe stupid was a question that really hit home personally. Do you want to be healed? Because I ain't fooled like everybody else is, and I ain't buying a story of you being lame for 38 years. Oh, woe is me. Everybody help me and carry me. Do this and do that. He said, no, do you want to be made whole? Okay, rise, take up your bed and walk. Become self-sufficient. Now go get a job. Stop letting everybody carry you around through life. See, we got people that are spiritual, amen? We may not be lame in our bodies, but we're lame in our spirits and in our emotions. And we got people carrying us around all the time, healing us and poo-pooing us and stroking our boo-boos and making us feel well and sometimes making us feel good when we shouldn't be feeling good. Sometimes you need to feel miserable when you're messing your life up. Because sometimes that misery would be the very thing that gets you over into doing what's right to restore your life. Amen? Hallelujah. And you think that seems hard? I think it's the book of Ezekiel. I forget the chapter. But you have a situation where God says, who will be a lying spirit in the mouth of those prophets? And the spirit says, I will. And God said, go. He said, be a, a lying spirit in the mouth of those prophets. Why? Because those people have idolatries. He said, according to the multitude of the idolatries, be a lying spirit in the mouth of those prophets. Let them prophesy and let them go out and get what they desire. Why? So that it will take them further into their idolatry and make them so miserable and have them so overwhelmed that they will repent and come back with their tail tucked between their legs. So you think it's rough some of the stuff that Jesus asked and what I'm saying? God was rough too. He said, oh, you want your idolatry? I'm going to give you more idolatry than you ever thought you can imagine. Go, lying spirit, be in the mouth of those prophets. Let them prophesy falsely to take them further into their strongholds. And when they get sick of themselves and the results of the sin that they desire in their hearts, they're going to come running back and they're going to really want me then. So God let them get the desires of their hearts. It didn't say the prophets were false. It doesn't say that. It says a lying spirit was permitted by God to speak out of the mouth of those prophets so they can go further into their bondage. So sometimes God will allow you to have it. You really want it that bad? I'm going to let you have it. The parable of the prodigal son. Oh, life's so much more wonderful out there. I'm here in this boring house, this boring cattle, and the boring servants. I mean, he was nothing but a spoiled brat. He'd be driving around a porch now with a trust fund and going to clubs every night. But talking about, oh, I hate my life. That's all the prodigal son was. Amen? So finally, he's like, I want my inheritance so I can go out and live life my way. So dad was like, all right, you think life is better? Here you go. There's your inheritance. He went out, party. Next you know, spends all his money. All those women and friends he had, when the money stopped rolling, all of a sudden, the women are gone. The friends are gone. He going to the club back in the day. You ain't got no money, you ain't getting in. I used to be sitting at the best tables. Not what you're broke behind. See ya. So what happens? Next thing you know, he's eating at a trough with the pigs. Do you know what they put in a, in a pig's trough? Do you, I've been on a farm with my grandparents. Do you know what they put in a pig trough? They basically take all the junk, all the leftovers, stuff that's rotted fruit on the ground, Leftover food from the dinner table. You might eat like a piece of corn or cob and like eat half of it. And you know what? I'm not, oh, I'm stuffed. I can't eat anymore. Oh, throw it in a pig trough. 
That's the stuff that's in the pig trough. This boy was in the house with all the servants, the robes and all the stuff he wanted. And after he exhausted himself doing his sin and getting the desires of his heart, life was so bad, he had his head in the trough next to the pigs. Funny how that'll make you come home (laughs) and see that life that you thought was so miserable, so bad, and the life you hated so much now becomes something that you highly appreciate. Amen? And that's what God wants us to see too sometimes. That it's one thing to look at the land of promise as in the things that God desires for you. It's quite another thing to make up your own desert oasis that's in your image and your likeness as opposed to what God has for your life. We got to make sure we're aligning ourselves with what God has for us. Amen. Hallelujah. Like I said, and when God is making moves to get us there and he comes to us, maybe with a similar question, will thou be made whole? He'll ask us a rhetorical question that hits us where we live. We need to be honest unto him and say, yes, I do. Or actually, no, I really don't want to be whole. Really, I don't want to have faith and believe. I really don't. Sometimes we've got to come to the place where we really are, are willing to look at ourselves and examine where we really are before we can move into that land of promise that God has for us. Amen? Hallelujah. All right, so next thing I want to look at, we were just talking about in faith, are you dwelling in the land of promise? Then it talks about, you know, Abraham. Um, going out to a place which he should receive for an inheritance. And it talked about him going out and looking for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And the question I have for us is, when we're venturing out into the unknown or going after different things, are are we going out and looking for something else or are we looking for God and basically what are we looking for are we looking for something that's built by God something made by God or we just looking out for something that we desire what are we venturing out to do what are we striving for what are we exerting our energies to do on a daily basis and sometimes we have to ask ourselves are we tired of all our mess are we finally coming to a place where we're diligently seeking the solid foundation that God provides, or are we trying to continually structure or restructure our lives based upon our will and desires without God's wisdom and intervention? What are we striving for? What are we looking for? Is God the founder and the creator of the thing? Is he the big M maker of what we're going after, or is it something that we ourselves are doing? Now, we see in the Word of God, Third John one and two. It says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. That word prospereth means to help on the road to succeed in reaching. So think about that. I wish above all things that thou might succeed in reaching or get help on the road. Who's giving you help on the road as you're striving in life? Is it your friends? You know, is it your family? Or is it God? Is it somebody as a role model to you? Or if somebody tries to tell you that's not for you? Or 
Uh, here's th- certain things you need to consider. Are you willing to listen to them? Or are you just going out on your own journey? You're in charge, and it doesn't matter what anybody says or tries to share with you. Um, we see here that God says that we may prosper and be in health even as our souls prosper. That word prosper talks about him helping us succeed in reaching or providing us help on the road. You know, sometimes in life you feel like you missed a turn. But it's a great thing, you know, if you could drive up somewhere and say, hey, I think I got myself off course. Can you tell me how to get back to I-95? Or if you have a GPS, you know, I have a GPS for my car. As I, I drive, sometimes, you know, you're somewhere unfamiliar. There's a lot of traffic, um, and, you, and you're supposed to get over a certain time to make a turn, but you can't get over or people are not allowing you to get over or whatever the, the issue may be. Maybe you weren't paying attention. You didn't get into the lane in time to take that exit. And as you go past it, your GPS will automatically recalculate and tell you the next exit you could take and how to still get there. Amen. That's help on the road, especially when you're in an unfamiliar place. It makes you comfortable that I'm still going to arrive at my destination. And that's what basically is being promised by God. He says, I'll give you help on the road to succeed in reaching your destination. But the thing is, he says he'll do that even as your soul prospers. And he also promises that you'll be in health. That word health means to be well in body, sound in health, and it means to be uncorrupt or true in doctrine. Once again, it means to be well in body, sound in health, and to be uncorrupt or true in doctrine. God says he will give you help on the road and help you succeed in reaching your objectives. He promised you that you'd be well in body, sound in health, and uncorrupt and true in your doctrine. However, there's a conditional aspect of this verse. He says you'll prosper and be in, in health even as thy soul prospers. And that word or that phrase, even as, means in as much as, or it also means according to how and when. Inasmuch as, according to how and when. He says you will prosper and be in health according to how and when what your soul prospers. And I think that's where a lot of believers miss it. Why am I not succeeding in life? Why is everything always failing around me? Well, you're pursuing all these things. You're trying to prosper. But the key to success, spiritual as well as physical, material, emotional, if you were a Christian, is that you would do things according to God's wisdom and according to his principles that are found in the word of God. And then finally, according to how the Holy Spirit may give you a check in your spirit or the unction in your spirit that you need to do something. You know, God says, I will help you succeed in reaching. I will give you help on the road in your journey in life. Even as, according to how you pursue me and you walk in obedience to me. And I think that is the key area where a lot of Christians fail. Amen? It's where they stumble and then they question God and question Christianity and they try other things. They say, God's not fulfilling his word. He's not keeping his promises. No, did you keep your promise? 
Because he says in his word, his word shall not return void, but it will prosper there unto I sent it. So if God says that and you're not prospering, you've got to wonder, are you in alignment with God? And that doesn't mean we won't lose a skirmish here and there uh, because of the enemy, but we should be winning the war. Amen? Hallelujah. So basically, no matter how much we pray, no matter how often we attend conferences where, or, where people are pronouncing things over us, no matter how many books you read, no matter how many systematic approaches you take, if they are contrary to the word of God and his will for your life, and you're not walking in obedience to his word, his principles, and how the Holy Spirit is leading you, you are not guaranteed success as we see in this passage of scripture here. The key thing is that we walk in obedience to those things more than anything else. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we placing our focus on him and prospering my relationship in him above prospering in any other area of life? Or are we pursuing those things first and then I'll get to you, God, when I have time? Amen? You can't expect God to be, you can't expect to be number one in life if God if your believer is not number one in your life, you know, amen. God has to be number one for you to be number one, (laughs) for you to be cream of the crop, top of the heap or whatever. And the thing is, God doesn't have a problem with you being number one of this or number one that if he's still number one above you. Amen. Because that prevents the spirit of pride from coming in so that even when you get to the top, you still are glorifying God. Amen. He's using you as a light and a beacon that others can look up to and say, wow, I can follow the lifestyle and example that they have. Amen. So God doesn't have any problem with you being small, number one, as long as he's the big number one above you. Amen. And like I said, I think a lot of times we're saying, oh, God promised me that I'm going to prosper in all things. That's not what he said. He said he'll prosper you in all things, even as your soul prospers. A lot of people are saying these verses and they forget the even as part. Oh, he promised to to prosper me and be in health and all things. Will you prosper in your soul? When's the last time you read the Bible? When's the last time you prayed? When's the last time you meditated upon the scripture? When's the last time that a problem came your way and you did the word as opposed to what your flesh told you to do? Amen? If you're not passing the test of God and his word, how can you expect God to fulfill this promise of prospering you in all things? So we have to make sure that we're putting him first in every area of our lives. James talks about that. James 4 13 through 17 says, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeared for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, If the Lord will, We shall live and do this or that, but now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Hallelujah. All right, that word vapor there, basically calling it it a mist. (laughs) Your life is a mist. (laughs) A puff of smoke, a vapor. I was driving up to the hospital Friday night, 
you know, to see um, Frank and to support, you know, Tony and her mom and everybody. And I was driving there, uh, I guess because the temperature had dropped so much from the day into the night, it was like a cold rain. And as I was driving down the road, when it was just me kind of like off to myself with uh, nobody in front of me, the road was, it was raining, but it was pretty clear. But any time another car came up and passed me or I got up, be, you know, because of my acceleration, I got up to a group of cars that were in front of me, my vision got blurred because, well, not literally blurred, but it became, I had less um, visibility on the road because with the cold rain, it was kicking up, you know, um, some of the condensation on the road and it, and it formed a mist that made it harder for me to see. But as I got away from that, I saw that it wasn't a permanent cloud in front of me. It was really something, a temporary thing that kicked up and quickly dissipated. And God is basically saying that our lives are similar. If you light a match, you know, you'll, you'll smell the scent of sulfur and you see that puff of smoke. Amen. But it quickly dissipates and goes away. And, and God is basically saying that your life is nothing but that. And that's not to offend us and make us feel small and inadequate and insignificant. It's basically just to say that in the, in the scope of eternity, as you look at all the time that has passed and is yet to come and will still go on into the future when even time itself is abolished by God, he's basically saying the span of time that we live here is just a puff and it's gone. So that's being the case. In the little amount of time that we're here, we need to focus on God and say, how can I make the best use of my time? I shouldn't just be going out and saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, or I'm going to start this, and I'm going to start that, and give no consideration whatsoever to God. I need to seek him and say, what are the things that you have in store for my life here in the short run, but also on the long term? You know, what, am I, what I'm planning, is this something that is acceptable to you? And in the planning, even when you get the approval for it, you should be having the mindset that, okay, I dreamed of doing this business, or I dreamed of going after this. But even in getting that, even if it seems like kind of secular, you should still have the mindset that even though it seems to be a secular thing, I'm going to put God in the mix of it as much as I can. You know, I looked at... um. Renee Lisiaga, and um, I'm not, I don't think that episode came on yet, but she's on the series um, The Moment on USA TV. Um, and she had dreamed of being a choreographer, but her and her husband are very strong Christians. I met them like years ago when I taught at um, Jacob's Chapel. And um, some people might say, well, you, you, you're saved, you got a husband, you got kids. Like, why are you still dreaming of this big vision of being a choreographer, maybe out in Hollywood or New York or overseas? And it's just a dream that she had. And she said, you know, basically in the things I've seen, she's always still giving glory to God that, yes, I might be doing this for plays or musicals or movies or whatever, but God is not placed on the curb while I'm doing that. Amen. Still living my life to glorify God. So that's the thing. You might do something that may not necessarily seem like it may not be a ministry, in other words, official ministry. But does it mean that it cannot be a ministry unto God as you do it? Amen. You can find God in everything. I mean, I'm, I'm leading a team of developers over um, um, Macedonia. And there's actually two Macedonias. One's near Greece, and then there's another one that's near Russia. The guys that I'm dealing with are from the Macedonia that's near Russia. 
And, you know, we've talked about our faith and going back and forth and stuff like that. And um, actually, I showed you all their um, the voter sheet, uh, V-O-D-E-C-I. I don't know if I pronounced it right, but it was a day where they were celebrating and commemorating Jesus by jumping into a frigid lake to, to get across. And um, I just got an email last week that um, basically they're celebrating um, Labor Day, but then they're going into some religious holidays. So they're asking me, is it okay for them to have off those days? And I was like, yeah, yes, of course. But um, it's just good that they're over near Russia, but I'm talking to him back and forth about faith, and he knows I'm a pastor. And he's like, I'm getting married this year. Man, I wish you could be here and marry us, stuff like that. And he talks about how his town has a church. For every day of the year, they have a church. 365, you know, churches. I don't know if it's 364, because it's really 364 and a quarter is it, days in a year. But uh, I, so I don't know if it's 364 or 365 to make it official. But they, he says his town is not the biggest town, but they literally have one church for every day of the year. I was like, wow. <laughs> so, you know, I'm in a, a secular profession of being a software engineer, but yet through that I'm talking to a guy on the other side of the planet um, about, you know, our mutual faith. And just look where God's taken us that, you know, He's over in a part of the world that probably was part of um, the Soviet Union back in the day. So that would be the last thing we'd ever talk about. But now in technology, we literally work together every day, and I can talk to him about my faith. So we can always, we want to find a way into the vapor of time we have to make God a part of what we're doing. You know, it talks about us, our lives just vanishing, you know. It appears for a little time, then vanisheth away. That word vanish means to render unapparent, to disappear or be destroyed, to be consumed or disfigured. To render unapparent, to disappear or be destroyed, to be consumed or disfigured. That's what our lives could be. But thank God through Jesus Christ, he can allow us, even in this short amount of time that we're here, relatively speaking, He can make our lives fruitful so that a legacy is left behind, you know, us passing. Just think about that. Here we are thousands of years later. We're still talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We still remember their legacy. Why? Because they yielded their lives unto serving Lord. Amen. They lived lives by faith despite never seeing the things that we're walking in right now. They still live a life of faith where they are literally impacting us on a daily basis. They couldn't see it. They couldn't fathom it. What? You mean to tell me that thousands of years from now, I'm here in the middle of a desert, camels, <laughs> looking for water in a, in a, a dusty desert and hot, under a hot sun. You mean to tell me that years from now, men will fly? People will be able to talk and there's this thing called technology where we'll let somebody be on this part of the planet and talk to people on the other side of the planet, and I'm affecting those people on a daily basis? That would have to be mind-blowing. But yet it's true. Amen? Because their lives were a vapor, but it was a vapor that was fully dedicated to God. Hallelujah. So what should our daily mentality be in terms of recreating our universe? 
Psalm 31 through 5, a psalm and song at the dedication of the house of David. I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried unto thee and thou hast healed me. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. For his anger endureth but for a moment, in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Mm-mm-mm. And that's something that, you know, we've, we've said. It's kind of a catchphrase in the body of Christ. It's something we've said and it's something that we've, we've sung. Uh, one of the things I like about it is that it's just a mindset, amen, a daily mentality that we lift God up. And even though our foes may do stuff, we thank God that he prevents them from rejoicing or triumphing, triumphing over us. Um, it says, we cry unto you and you heal us. So we look to God for healing when we're discouraged or when we're um, dealing with things. Um, you are the one that sustains me and keeps me alive. Amen. That is the mindset we should have on a daily basis. And it talks about having a, a voice and an attitude of praise for, for God for all the things that he does. And even says that even from time to time, God may have times where he's angry with us for disobeying him or being lax on what we should be doing and uncommitted. But it says this may happen, but overall, our lives are lives that are favored in him. And the thing I like about where it says weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. That weeping is not just, oh, I was sad and I cried. But they're talking about a continual, overflowing overwhelming weeping or anguish. Amen? It's continual, overflowing, overwhelming weeping or anguish. This is when you're dealing with some kind of crisis or heartache or tragedy where you're just continually crying. You're continually overwhelmed and saddened or traumatized by something. So it's not just, I had a bad day at work or argument with my spouse and I'm crying. No, this is like, I am overwhelmed by something that is staying on me and I am continually crying and in a, in a, in a mindset or emotional state of grief. God said this may endure for a night, amen, but he says joy cometh in the morning. That word joy means a shrill sound or a piercing sound. It's a shout or a proclamation of rejoicing or triumph. So it's not just Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning like I feel happy. But no, he's saying that he's going to take away the pain that you're experiencing so much and to such an extent that you will literally have a shout or a proclamation of rejoicing and triumph at what God has done over your life. Amen. So we're talking about an extreme exchange from being overwhelmed with grief or sadness or shame to now being overwhelmed on the good side of the coin where you just could shout for joy at what God has done for you. Like you can't believe how he's come through in your circumstances. Lamentations. I like that. Lamentations 3, 21 through 26. Hallelujah. It says, this I recall to mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed 
because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. This I recall to mind. That's a key thing. Part of your daily mentality is you're trying to restructure, recreate, regenerate, rebuild, restructure, reshape, whatever you want to call it, in terms of your day-to-day existence and your own personal universe that you're living in right now. Amen? How do you walk around on a daily basis? Do you have the mindset? Amen? It says here, I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. As you're going through trials and tribulations that seem to undermine or trip up your hopes and dreams, do you sit there focusing on the failures or the things that are tripping you up, or do you allow yourself to recall to mind? Well, wait a minute, I know I'm going through this right now, but I just recalled that I've had times before in the past where I felt this way, or I've had situations in the past where this has happened, but I recall to mind that God has given me favor, that God has done this, that God has preserved me, he has provided for me, he has restored me, he has delivered me, he has turned things around that were bad into things that were good. These are the things I recall to mind, and because I recall those things, even though the situations I'm facing right now seem like they should consume me, it's because of the mercies of God that they do not. Amen? And I can thank him That his faithfulness is great, his mercies are new every morning, his compassion is new every morning, and I can continue to have hope in him despite the things I'm experiencing right now. And those are the kinds of things. We have this in our daily mentality that God can keep us going, amen, no matter what trials and tribulations we're facing. So we need to have a mindset, amen, as we go out on a daily basis that no matter what has happened yesterday, the day before, five years, ten years in the past, Today is a new day with new mercies, new compassions, and God still has the capability to get me through, to sustain me, and to get me into the things that I'm dreaming of. Amen? So no dome surrounding me and blocking me. Amen? My God is more powerful than that dome, even if I place the dome over myself. Amen? No rut is too deep. I may have even dug... One situation I may have dug myself in, another one, my enemies may have picked me up and thrown me in. But there's no hole too deep, no pit too deep that God cannot dig me out of. Amen? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You know, puppet strings. There's no strings that are attached to me that the sword and spirit cannot cut loose. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's nothing that they can do. Daily speech. We already talked about your daily mentality. What is your daily speech? Psalm 37, 30 through 31. The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom, and his tongue talketh of judgment. The law of God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. Does your mouth talk of judgment? I'm not talking about judgment as in judge you for the wickedness of, you know, of your lives. And I'm calling down the judgment of God. I'm talking about does your, your, your mouth speak with reasoning, with understanding? You know, despite what you see, and do you continue to speak in faith? And as we saw in the text, you know, uh, I'm sorry, in the book of Romans, it says, speak those things that be not as though they were. Amen? 
Are you speaking to things that may not have manifested yet, but through your faith you believe that they will be as you have proclaimed them? You need to speak with a reasoning mouth. Hallelujah. And we see here you need to have the law of God in your heart. Because if you do that, it says, none of your steps shall slide. Hallelujah. (laughs) You may have a problem with your mouth. This next passage is the remedy for an out-of-control mouth. Psalm 141.3. Set a watch. O Lord, before my mouth, keep the door of my lips. God says, keep a watch over my mouth. Holy Spirit, angels, whatever you need to do, before something inappropriate, ungodly, or unfaithful is about to come out of my lips, I I ask you, Lord, to put a check in my spirit and guard my mouth, because out of the abundance of the mouth, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Amen? And sometimes we speak things that undermine our faith and cripple it. And sometimes we give license to the enemy based upon the fruit of our mouths. So if we don't have control of our mouths, we need to ask God until we learn control to set a watch over our mouths. And before we can speak it, Lord, gag me, cover up my mouth, do something. So I don't allow these things that are ungodly to come out of my mouth. Because in the beginning, God said, let there be, and it was. He thought, he spoke, it manifested. We're made in the likeness of God. So if you're thinking, speaking, why are you wondering why stuff is manifested? You spoke it, didn't you? A lot of people are living miserable lives that are self-fulfilled prophecies. They keep speaking. Oh, well, they're laying off. I know I'm going to be next. Like, hey, can you pray for me? I need a job. Yeah, but I was believing God for you that you weren't going to get cut in the layoffs. I knew, but I knew all along. I kept telling people that I was going to get laid off and then it happened. Well, you crippled my prayers for you, and you spoke into existence your current situation. So now you got to, instead of using your mouth in faith to say, I'm keeping my job no matter what they do, now you're going to have to learn to use your mouth to get a job again. Amen? you got to speak in faith and put a guard over the door of your lips. Amen? Hallelujah. <laughs> I've had times where I felt like saying something. And I remember um, the Lord put a check in my spirit one time. I got this um, situation. A cop pulled me over and was giving me a ticket for not having my wipers on in the rain. And it was bright and sunny. You know how sometimes, like, it's bright and sunny, but it rains for a few minutes? And sometimes it pours. It wasn't even that, though. It was just like a light mist came down during the sun. And, like, there's a cop sitting on the side of the road, and there's, like, three or four cars passing him. So here I come in my sports car at the time, driving by, pulls me over. And I was like, oh, I said, did I do something wrong, officer? He said, you know what you did. I said, no. I said, I really don't know. I said, I wasn't speeding. He said, no. He said, you were driving in the rain without your wipers on, without your lights and your, and your wipers on. So I reached my, my hand out the window. I was like, what rain? He sneered at me. And um, walked off to, to give me the ticket. And as he was walking away, I just felt that this anger. And I was getting ready to speak something over his life. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit put a check. He went Old Testament on me. He says, you know, as you speak, so shall it be. And as soon as I heard that, I like, I literally. Because what I was going to say, he wasn't going to recover from. I was about to speak it, and the Lord said, if you speak it, you walk an officer of prophet too? 
which is one of the God's spokesman to speak over stuff. He's like, you speak it, so shall it be. I was like, I was like my little ticket wasn't worth what was going to happen to him. And I, I was speaking something specific. And I was like, Lord, I've been on the news that night, and I've been like, and my luck, they would have had the face right there. Officer, blah, 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 happened. I'll be like, the exact thing I spoke over that. So he put his check in my spirit, and I was like, <clears throat> I literally went like that, and I stopped myself. So you, sometimes you think, oh, well, it's not a big deal what I speak. Oh, really? Maybe you need to go back and evaluate all the things going on in your life. Well, every time I see so-and-so, we just fight. And I just know this next time we see each other, it's going to be World War III. And I know, now, I, I'm going to try to keep myself restrained, but I just know we battle. We see each other. Then you go see him and you battle. You kept speaking it. You told your best friend. You told your spouse. You told this person. You told that one. And you saw them as World War III. Then you're like, see, I don't know why they always start with me. Well, you've been pronouncing your warfare for weeks instead of saying the next time we see each other, I'm believing God for a spirit of peace, and I'm praying for it in advance, and I'm praying for God to set the atmosphere. Amen? A lot of times we get what we speak. So like, like I said, we may not even realize it, but sometimes we need to tell God or ask God to set a watch before our mouths to keep the door of our lips <laughs> closed. <laughs> sometimes you see like the thing where people go like this, like they pull a zipper, Sometimes we need to ask God to put an invisible Holy Ghost zipper over our lips and just zip it. Zip it shut. And Lord, don't let it open until I'm at a place of peace where I can say something the right way. You know, and sometimes, Lord, you got to keep it zipped until the two of us part ways. And I'm like miles down the road or at my house and they're at my house. And then you can let it loose. And the thing that comes out of my mouth when you let it loose... <laughs> That might not be good, but at least it wasn't in their ear to cause more conflict. And God can work on you and how your heart is. Amen? Hallelujah. So we could do that. You can write it down for later. In terms of daily speech, Romans 4, 16 through, 20, 16 through 22. Hallelujah. It talks about Abraham and how God spoke things over his life. And it talks about who against hope believed in hope, and God enabled him to get to the fulfillment of the promises over his life. Do you realize that sometimes you have to have hope that believeth in hope? And that sounds weird, but sometimes you have like an emotional hope of things. I hope this works. But then there's that hope that's really centered in your faith. It's above your humanistic emotional hope. It's a hope that goes into the faith spiritual realm. So sometimes you can hope for something. It doesn't seem like it's panning out. But you've got to say, you know what, I've got to go past how I'm emotionally feeling right now and that kind of hope. And i can say, okay, this is crazy. It ain't going to work. But you know what, I've got to get outside of what I hope for in my natural human emotional state. I've got to get into the hope realm of God where it looks like and emotionally doesn't look like it's going to work. But in God, I'm still hoping. In other words, I still have faith that it's going to happen. That's what got Abraham from the point of I have a barren wife. And I tried to get, you know, an illegitimate son to be my heir. You know, he had to get to the point where, you know what, this ain't working. We've got to kick my illegitimate son and Hagar to the curb. And now I still got to believe God for the child of promise. See, he had to hope against hope. Sometimes, as you see there, you got to even hope against your own mess. 
Because we still got battles overseas because of that. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. That's another thing generations later. Because he did something in the humanistic hope realm. He caused a problem that now still has Muslims going against the Jews overseas. So that shows you. The legacy of his faith has lived on for thousands of years and affected billions of people. The legacy of his failure is still with us as well. Yet people are sworn to destroy Israel because Israel is the favored son of, of Abraham. And the, sons of, and the sons and descendants of Ishmael are still trying to kill them because they were the favored son. And there is the summation of the Middle East in a few sentences that all the politicians are trying to figure out. Oh, it's this and that. We do this, we have peace. No, you ain't. It's an illegitimate son that wants to kill the favorite son. It's that simple. And that's why it's never going to be resolved. Because <laughs> it's a wound that is too deep. I was the illegitimate son that got kicked to the curb by my dad. He was a favorite son that was prized and became the child of promise and inheritance. I hate him, and I'm going to disterminate him. That's why the Middle East will never be resolved. Because the illegitimate son is going to kill the, the legitimate son. Amen? So all the politicians, it ain't going to work. <laughs> it's never going to work. Matter of fact, it's the heart of World War III. Amen? And, and the return of Jesus. Ishmael trying to kill Isaac. Hallelujah. All right, so we looked at our daily mentality, our daily sp speech. I just want to look at a couple things regarding our daily responses. Romans 12, 15 through 21. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not, wine in your own, be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thy enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So our daily responses, be, in addition to our mentality and our speech, we should have a daily response in terms of our actions and attitude that there are going to be conflicts. Matter of fact, we should really have an expectation that there will be conflicts. We shouldn't be all surprised and hurt and wounded and our pride is bruised and I got to get back at them. If you're a believer and you're mature, you should actually expect people going to act up because they have not gained the knowledge, the revelation, or the relationship you have with your Heavenly Father. So as a result, they are walking, they're really walking as they're supposed to walk, as people of flesh with fleshly, bestial, animalistic, carnal attitudes, mentalities, and actions that are associated with them. They're doing what they're really supposed to do. Maybe not in God's divine order because God wants us all to live in peace and serenity with him. But once the fall came, if they are not hid in Christ and sealed by the Holy Spirit and governed by the word of God, they are literally doing what they really are expected to do. So why are we so surprised or hurt by it? 
They're supposed to act by heathens because they are heathens. They're supposed to act like the children of the devil because they are the children of the devil. So we got to be better. And if we're the children of God, we have to act like the children of God, despite the fact that they're acting like the children of the devil. Because we have the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to overcome the wiles and the temptations and the carnality of our fleshly bodies. They don't have that. So why are we all shocked and traumatized and wonder why they're acting that way. They're still bound and blinded by the kingdom of darkness. So they're doing exactly what they have. They don't have the restraining power of the Holy Spirit to make them stop themselves. So what do they do? They go full tilt in the fleshly characteristics that they have. So we, having the Spirit of God, we have to first keep ourselves sealed off so that what they're doing doesn't affect us. Also, keep ourselves protected by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God so that we don't succumb to the same temptations and fleshly attitudes they have. And through the power and authority God gives us in the ministry of reconciliation, try to present ourselves in such a way that they see Christ and now they come up out of the strongholds and the behavioral patterns that they exhibit. Amen? So they're doing what they're supposed to do. I don't mean suppose like it's appropriate, but they're doing what they're supposed to do in terms of they're acting like the children of the devil because they are the children of the devil. Amen? That's just like, <laughs> you know, if Colin and Trey go out somewhere, I, I expect them to represent the Fox family. And especially being young men, I expect them to act like, to, to represent me, you know, as being men that if they see, uh, you know, if they see like a, a woman um, that, that dropped some bags or needs a, a door held or, or something like that or in a grocery store I can't reach that or um, if somebody's acting inappropriate, if somebody needs to step in, like, of course there's the wisdom of whether you should step in some certain situations because it could be danger and life-threatening. But for the most part, I, I expect them to exhibit themselves as they see me exhibit myself. And actually going further, not just being gentlemen with women, but they've seen me hold doors for other men. And, oh, you go first. You know, just the character I've exhibited, I expect them to take on the same characteristics. So they are their children the devil. He expects them to have their characteristics, and they do. We're of our father, Abba Father God. He expects us to have our char- his characteristics. So are we exhibiting the characteristics of our father, or are we still carrying the characteristics that are the same of the people that are children of the devil. Which characteristics do we have? We should rise above that kind of behavior. As we see here, don't be overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, Jesus may have seen it be extreme. They steal your, they slap you in the face, give them the other cheek. They steal your coat, (laughs) give them your shirt. They take your plate of food, ask them, you need something to drink with that? That's basically what Jesus was saying. Like, they're doing what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to steal your food and steal your coat and slap you in the face. But he says, don't use that as a justification for beating them up and criticizing them and doing this. Bless them despite the fact that they acted like the devil. That's how we prove we're mature and we're fine and we're serving a higher thing. So you don't exhibit yourself as being higher by acting lower. That's why I had a problem with the, the, the Kardashians and, and, and the, the Hiltons and how they conducted themselves. You, you came from elite families with lots of money. And you, you smeared the family name when you conduct yourself like you grew up in a, in a ghetto. 
or slum or some dysfunctional family. It's, like, it's, it's a mark. And it's a shame that these things are popularized and glorified. Your behavior is scummy and it's, and it's disgraceful. You conduct yourself when you represent the name of those households. The Hilton name was associated with a bunch of, of hotels, high-end hotels and, you know, elite family with tons of money and, you know, social clubs and limos and stuff like that. And you're doing pornography, doing a reality show where you, you, you act like an idiot. You know, another one, the same thing. She follows in, in the same pattern. Prominent attorney. You know, regardless of your feelings about the OJ case, he was a prominent attorney. You smear the name with the way you conduct yourself on a daily basis. Amen? So God wants us to, to act like the children of the Most High. So what if they act like fools and, and beasts and, and animalistic and crazy? Are we of an elite family or not? If we are, we need to conduct ourselves as such and not stoop to behavior. I'm not talking about a stooping as in prideful arrogance, I'm better than you. I'm talking about stoop as in I'm acting as carnal and fleshly and animalistic as they are. Amen? Hallelujah. We need to be above, to rise above, to think above, to act above, to speak above. Everything we do should be of, above because we serve a kingdom that is above. Amen? Hallelujah. And as we act and speak and perceive and behave above, amen, it is that high standard that gives people something to look up to. Amen? A light on a hill should not be hidden under a bushel, but it should be seen and prominently displayed, and it should pierce through the darkness so that those that are below in the pit in the darkness can look up and say, oh, I see a light. Well, what is that light? It is the light of Christ, my friend. Come up and partake and raise them up. The problem with us is that God, by station and by inheritance, has elevated us, but instead of us staying there, we choose to go below. Not deceived, not pulled down. We look down and say, I choose to come off of my perch and conduct myself as they do. The Lord just gave me that. <laughs> that was not planned. He says, we choose to come down off of that perch where he placed us. We choose to come out from the light, from the city on the hill, from the perch, amen, as watchmen and overseers and the cream of the crop, not to be aristocratic, but to show a light to bring people up out of darkness into his marvelous light. We choose to come off that high post and perch that he's placed us in, as well as the responsibilities associated with that perch. We choose because of our emotions and our desires and our fleshly um, lust or will, we choose to come off of that perch to go down into darkness and stay there and behave ourselves in the same manner as those that are below. Therefore, they have no hope to come out of their darkness and rise up because we in our own selfishness who were established and placed there by our Heavenly Father, we now choose that I'm not going to stay on my post and be a beacon to bring them up. Some of them clawing, kicking, scratching, desperately begging, please get me out of this life I'm in. Some of them are desperate and don't even know it, and they're hurting. And we've chosen to say, I'm going down. But not down to deliver and say, I'm getting you out of here. We're not on a rescue mission. We're going down because we like what we see and we want to be a part of it. Because we dismiss and we devalue 
the elegance and the splendor of what our Heavenly Father has afforded us. So we choose to take our eyes off of what he's afforded us and we go down below. And we render ourselves of no effect in those that we should be saving. Totally unplanned. So receive it. We choose to go below. And God just shakes his head. Just shakes his head. And wonder why the churches are in the state they're in. And wonder why lives are not being changed. And wonder why our country is getting worse by the second. Didn't we, weren't we delivered of the envelopes over a decade ago? It's, it's back again? Seriously? I thought we solved that. When I saw that, I was just, I was like, hmm. <laughs> With our technology and everything, just think about that. That was such a unsophisticated way of trying to snuff out lives. Lives that it only lasted for a short period of time and it was gone. And now, because of the deviltry and us sleeping on our purchases and stuff like that, it's so unsophisticated when you consider the kind of technology we have now, it's almost ludicrous that somebody would send an envelope now. But they're doing it because we're off our purchase. Amen? So that means like, Oh, shoot, I, they're so asleep, I can use some of the old stuff. I only have to be sophisticated, in other words. I can use some of the old traps, some of the old gimmicks. Because this church has fallen so far asleep, I only have to make up something new and devise plots and plans and strategies. They're so dumbed down, in other words. Oh, I can just pull out something from my old bag of trips to try to take lives and send people to hell early. Because we've come off our purchase. And we, we, the, the life of the Christian today is more focused on what role, title, position I can have and who can see me than it is all the people walking around that are going to hell in a handbasket. It's all about who we could be in the church. Matter of fact, it's a slave. He showed me the other day. It's a slave mentality. And it's, 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 in, it's a pandemic in the black church especially because we were so poor and so oppressed. The only place a black man especially a black man or woman could have a place of, pop, of power and authority and esteem where they would be respected was in the church. Well, my God, how many years are we from slavery? And we're still fighting for church roles? Go out and get a business if you need a role of prominence. Go join a charity or, or something that goes out in the streets to touch lives. You want to be a role model, you want to be esteemed. Do something that's more than sitting in the four... For walls, for prominence. I'd rather be out in the street touching somebody whose heart broken out there in the streets than be in a church building. Where we're all sitting here going through the motions, looking good, sing a few songs, go home, and nothing changes. No lives are transformed. People are dealing with the same, same issues year after year after end, endless years. Well, what's your spiritual problem? I'm greedy. Five years later, altar car. I'm greedy. Fall out on the floor, 12 conferences, seven prophetic words, slain in spirit another 10 times, five years later, altar car. What's your problem? I'm greedy. Where's the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God 
to transform lives? Why hasn't that person graduated from being greedy to now going out and saving people that are greedy through the power of God? That's just one example. I'm saying the church as a whole, there's no transformation anymore. It's sickening. It's sickening. People got the same issues. And I'm not saying or diminishing people having issues, but my God, when does the word of God and the Holy Spirit make a change? That you've been saved for 20 years, but you still had the problems, the same exact problem at the same level as the day you got saved. So I'm not saying it couldn't be different aspects of it because you can't always get delivered of something that's huge from day one. Sometimes you got to go through layers and like an onion, peel them off. But I'm talking about people that are still at the Christianity 101 level of it, that I don't even know the word or the principle or the spirit or this to get out of the rudimentary aspects of it, let alone into the deep things of it. Amen? I I need to stop. (laughs) I'm going to just leave it alone. (laughs) Just, Just God and God and God alone. Our daily responses, amen, just cannot be born out of flesh. They got to be something more that God's going to do in us and through us. Amen. You'll go write down some verses. I'm going to close, but just write them down for your own studying. 1 Peter 3, 12 through 17. And we're still talking about our, our daily responses and action and attitude. That's just talking about us. If we suffer for righteousness' sake, that we don't have to be shamed when people falsely accuse us for our walk and our conversation in Christ, which goes into more than a verbal conversation, but the way we exhibit ourselves and conduct ourselves. And then First Peter four twelve through eighteen. Don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which tries you. You're not alone. It's nothing weird. You're not the first time they experienced it. But it's something that we all encounter. And then one of the things that actually says in that passage of Scripture, um, it says, don't think that it's so strange that something's happening to you. It's something that is all, it's happened to all believers through the course of time. It might be repackaged for this day and age, but it's still something that we all encounter. But it says, in the midst of that, if you were reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. But it says, don't let any of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a busybody, and other people's matters. In other words, if people want to accuse you because of your stance in Christ, don't be ashamed. And it's something that's, that's, that's typical for all of us. It's not a strange thing. But he said, in the midst of these accusations and attacks, don't let it be found that you're actually the negative thing that you say you are, that they say you are. <laughs> so if they say you're a murderer, a thief, a busybody, a scoundrel, you know, a conniver, greedy, lustful. If they attack you and say these things, if it's false and it's coming at you, don't be, don't be shocked that it happens, but glorify God and say, hey, this is part of my Christian faith. But don't let it be found that, oh, yeah, well, he really is that. <laughs> your integrity and your walk should be above the things they're accusing you of. Amen. Hallelujah. And then it says in 17, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? And we're really in this day and age. And I was actually at the dentist, and they had the TV on when the Boston Marathon thing, not when it happened, when they first started reporting it. 
And one thing that caught my eye is you saw a bunch of police and firefighters and even some people that were there running over to assist people. But then the one thing that caught my eye, this one guy ran over. He literally jumped over somebody getting where he's going, and he had a camera, and he was trying to get a good shot, probably so he could see it to send it to CNN or somewhere and stuff like that. He wasn't running to help. He's running to position himself to get a better picture. And as I saw that, the Lord spoke to me. He says, and the love of many shall wax cold. That's the day and age we're in. The love of many shall wax cold. That's more pressing to get a good shot than save the life of somebody that just got impacted by a bomb that might have shrapnel, nails, or whatever in the side of their body. And instead of you running and say, let me grab that person and pull them to safety, you're trying to get a good shot because, hey, I might get five minutes of fame on CNN when they post my picture. That's more pressing to you than it's saving the life of somebody that is hurting and laying there in blood on the ground. Some people got their limbs amputated because of those blasts, but yet you're running to get a picture as opposed to pulling that person to safety. That's despicable. And God said, the love of many shall wax cold. But it's a shameful thing when the world does it. It's an abominable thing when the church of God does it. And that's where we're at right now. We don't even care. You know, the church, the love of the church has waxed cold because we're just as conniving, manipulative, as greedy, as lustful as people that are not saved. And that's a shameful thing. So, so that's one of the reasons why we're boxed in, because we're no different than them. And there's no power of the Holy Spirit. There's no word as our foundation. There's no faith that propels us into the glorious future that God has for us. So part of that, too, is recreating our universe, is unlocking the goals and dreams that are before us. But also, it's a transition, a reshaping, and maybe a rethinking of where am I in you right now? Amen? And what do I need to do? Because maybe I'm boxed in because I don't deserve to go out further. You know, maybe I'm boxed in because sometimes you've got to limit some, something that's going to go out and do damage. Maybe we're boxed in because we're not in a place where God can really trust us to expand the boundaries and the horizons. Amen? So I'm not saying that's where you are. I'm saying we need to all, me too, evaluate that. Maybe I'm boxed in because I need to be. <laughs> you know? So we need to evaluate all those things. Like I said last week, some of us, or fulfilling, fulfilling good or bad prophecies that were spoken over us. And I refer to it as the Pygmalion or the Rosenthal effect. And a lot of times, people, your minds keep an imprint of things that are spoken over you, and you keep living them out even when you don't think you're living them out. So we got to examine that. Are you living out the things that have been spoken over you? And if they are ungodly and they're unfruitful, you need to reverse that process to start speaking and thinking and pronouncing over yourself things that are f- fruitful. You know, Proverbs um, 23.7, the first part, for as he thinking in his heart, so is he. How do you think in your heart about yourself and your prospects and your opportunities before you? You know, even if you don't even believe it yet, you need to start pronouncing it. I am going to do this. I am going to succeed at this. I am going to get to new heights and new depths in God. I'm going to expand the boundaries around me, and I am going to affect people that are around me as well. I'm not just doing this for myself. I am going to touch the lives of people. Amen? As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. See, you'll leave imprints on your mind, even if you don't think it yet. And what will happen is you encounter situations where you keep speaking it. You'll get to the point where instead of you going into the negative zone, oh, that's not going to, you'll start thinking because of the imprint you literally put on your brain, your mind will start going on its pathways. And you'll see a situation and say, yeah, I could do that. 
yeah, we can do this. Oh, forget those obstacles. We can do it. Amen. And God, because God's going to enable me to do it, even despite myself. Amen. I'm going to do it. Hallelujah. I'm going to close with that. Um, with faith, we have the substance to receive the things that we hope for. By faith, we have proof that things that haven't manifested or completed or are on the horizon. By faith, we give our best unto God and our sacrifices to him. By faith, we are deemed righteous. By faith, we please God and are rewarded when we diligently seek him. By faith, we move with reverential fear at God's commands instead of questioning him or being fearful from a fleshly perspective that the enemy is going to hurt us. By faith, we venture out into the unknown in full confidence of God's protection and provision. By faith, we live in the land of promise now, although it may not be our reality in the moment. By faith, we always look to a brighter future. Amen. By faith, we cut the strings, we get out of the rut, we get through the dome or the bubble that we've been blocked in. Amen. Hallelujah. By faith. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we praise and thank you, Lord, for everything that you're doing in our lives. We thank you, Father, for recreating our universe. Amen. Hallelujah. Taking us out of the boundaries of our limitations. Hallelujah. Things that may have been there for months or years, things that may literally be there as physical, tangible obstacles or obstacles that are self-imposed or self-inflicted in our minds. We thank you, praise you, Father, by your spirit. Hallelujah. We have a spirit now of liberation, of freedom. We have a spirit, Lord, of success and victory. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. That you would be glorified in everything that we do. We thank you, Father, that you would um, free us and loose us, that you would liberate us. Hallelujah. That you give us victory. Hallelujah. Take off every shackle. Take off every chain. Take off every form of bondage right now. And we just thank and praise your Father that you'll be glorified. Hallelujah. In every aspect of our lives, Lord, that you will be blessed. That you would allow us to be a blessing under the kingdom. Hallelujah. That the boundaries of our habitation, Father, hallelujah, would be broken. Father, that we can go to new heights. Hallelujah. New depths new distances, open up our eyes to see things, Father, that we have given up on, Lord. Dreams, Father, hallelujah, desires and goals. We praise and thank you, Father, that as we pursue them, hallelujah, that you would um, just give us the wisdom, the strength, the mindset, the speech, the behavior, everything we need, Father, to go out in freedom. And we thank and praise your Father for this. In the precious name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you. We praise you. Hallelujah. We give you the glory, honor, and the praise, Father, for these things. Hallelujah. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.